John chapter 15, and I'm reading from the ESV. Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I commanded you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I gave to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on my account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had done among them the works that no, that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that was written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this morning that you've brought us all here together as one body. Thank you for moving and looking after our city and guiding us to this place of health. Uh, God, this morning I pray that we would be able to set aside all distractions. Uh, and God, I pray for Pastor Kevin as he leads us in teaching the word. God, I pray that you would have been working in all his efforts to glorify you and to serve us this week. I pray that every word he speaks uh, would be good and pleasant to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Welcome back, everybody. Unhealthy families often respond to points of crisis without really responding. You know, another family fight erupts or someone in the family dies and no one really acknowledges it and someone just passes the potatoes and you just kind of move on. But I don't want that to be the case among us, Cars fam. We've been through a lot over the past year and a half. Um, we're going to jump back into Galatians in July, but I first want us to try to just process what we've been through together. We cannot just act like nothing has happened and somehow just try to pick up where we left off. There's so much that I think we need to learn and we need to talk about. Here's what we'll try to accomplish through this three-part series that starts today. We'll reflect on what COVID has perhaps taught us and how God might use it in our lives together. We'll reflect on how getting back to normal might not truly be God's best for us. And we'll try to do it as we read along in John 15 that Aaron just read for us. But first, as we jump into the series, just a, a couple of preliminary kind of framing thoughts. I want you to think first about the power of a crisis to disrupt and awaken. The power of a crisis to disrupt and awaken. We have lots of tired parents in our church, um, many of them here. You've probably been startled awake, maybe even this week, with a, a screaming kid next to your bed. Um, crises can have that kind of effect. Um, Mark Sayers in his book, Reappearing Church, talks about this secular myth that we have so easily bought into in the Western world. What's that? Um, as we move along in time, that will progress, will progress scientifically, technologically, politically, and morally, and we'll do it all without God. In fact, people would say that God gets in the way of that. But Sayers says that that myth is so fragile. He wrote this, and this was before 2020. He says, the secularist life script in which humans attempt to live without having to confront the great questions of life creates insulation against faith. However, this insulation is not as secure as it may seem. If we endured a global flu pandemic, like the one in the early part of the 20th century that killed millions of people across the world, how we view and process our personal potentials and possibilities will be deeply shaken. Your lifestyle, your freedom, your approach to faith and meaning are shaped by large-scale factors. Factors out of our control, which we assume to be stable and secure, but which in reality can change suddenly. The, secular, the secularist life script is dependent on crucial political, economic, and social factors being in place, elements that are becoming fragile, opening a new potential for renewal and revival in the West. So much like something like cancer can shake up your world and serve to reset your priorities, something massive like COVID can do the same except on a more global scale, reminding us we're not God that we cannot in any way live without him, the crisis can disrupt and awaken. Think second about the growth that can emerge from struggle. You probably heard stories of a proud athlete who blows out a knee or a pompous musician who spirals into addiction. And on the other side, part of them may long for the glory days, kind of before all that, but at the same time, at least for some of them, they would say they never want to go back because they're different, they're stronger, they're better now. As we think about moving through 
out of this pandemic, we have to long for something better, for a growth that will burst out of the soil of struggle. We at Cars, we believe in a God who's completely in control, even in control over big things like COVID. And we believe that he uses those things for our good, to raise people from spiritual death to life, to alert, to awaken his children who have been asleep. The crisis can be a catalyst for our growth. It can even be a spark that ignites renewal. Well, with all that in mind, here's the basic outline I want to follow, I think, in each of these messages. First, what COVID has revealed in us. Second, what Jesus calls us back into. Third, what the Spirit has also taught us. And fourth, what our Father could be up to. First, what COVID has revealed in us. My wife Amy has been battling breast cancer, and through Facebook, she's had quite the reach, but she's actually gotten connected with an old friend of mine from college who's been going through the same, almost the same exact thing. That friend got married back in her college years, and she and her husband, they moved into a trailer home in town while they were finishing up school. And I was visiting one day and just spending some time with them soon after they had moved in, and I was in the bathroom, and I heard some other people come in, and she began to give them a tour. And I heard her say, here's the kitchen, here's the master bedroom, and you know what I heard next. Here's the bathroom. And she flung open the door and there I was. <laughs> this is what I think this pandemic has done. It's exposed us, and, and what we've seen hasn't been pretty. Think about what's come out in, in a couple of broad categories. First, thoughts and emotions. Now let me say, just to show you my cards, I think throughout the pandemic, the cry, faith without fear, was used primarily as a slogan or a meme to silence people, to maybe even gaslight people who took COVID seriously. But I can also say that we've experienced a fair amount of unhealthy fear, or at least I have. I mean, I can remember back the first day when my wife came back from the hospital unit and they had lost their first patient to COVID. And it was, it was kind of scary. I remember watching everything unfold in New York on national news before my eyes, and I was kind of freaking out about it. Most of us have felt a lot of fear and anxiety about what was happening and what could come. I certainly think anger has been a common emotion. The election, the protests, the storming of the Capitol, the way the pandemic was handled, mishandled. All the debates online about masks and vac vaccines and lockdowns, it's been pretty brutal. It's filled me, honestly, with rage too much of the time and at other times despair. All the deaths, the lost jobs, all the division, all the foolishness, it's just been so much, lots of emotions. And let me tell you, not all of them have been bad, but lots of ugly stuff has come out. Second, words and deeds. The debates that played out online were largely ugly. Where did we so easily turn in our isolation and boredom to drowning ourselves in materialism, to the latest news report or political hot take, to pledging our allegiance to earthly kings and kingdoms, numbing ourselves with entertainment, degenerating into lust, distracting ourselves with social media. We've, we've taken in all sorts of information, largely the wrong kind, 
COVID has borne all kinds of fruit, and, and much of it has been rotten. Now, the, the pandemic didn't cause these things, right? It just revealed what was already there. We'll get to talking about bearing fruit, producing works that honor Jesus in this series. But to pour that kind of thing out, our tanks have to be full. And they have to be filled with something good, right? Truth and love. But our tanks, I think, in America have been shown to be at least empty or worse, filled with what's dirty and nasty. What has COVID revealed? Well, that we've gone to other things for our life, love, and joy. The pandemic really revealed a deeper sickness of our souls. Our thoughts, our emotions, our words and deeds, they've kind of been like the low-grade fever and throbbing headache and dry cough that we've all feared. They've been symptoms that have really made the disease clear. Second, let's look at what Jesus calls us back into. John 15. He says in verse 1, I am the true vine. He repeats that idea in verse 5, saying there that we are his branches. We'll talk a lot about the metaphor later, but the point, the basic point, seems to be this. Jesus, as the vine, is the source of our life, right? Our very existence, our hope to flourish, our hope, hope to grow, it only comes through our union with Christ. There's life in it, but also love. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. He, he's demonstrated his love by giving up his life. Verse 13. We can now get caught up. And this is mind-blowing. We can get caught up in this eternal Trinitarian love. The love for the Father. The Father for the Spirit. The Spirit for the Son. We can get caught up in that. We can experience it. But only as we are connected as the branches to the vine. Not just life. Not just love. But also joy. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's what life in the vine looks like. Joy deep in our souls. Even in the face of trials. That's what Jesus calls us back into. What's meant to be in that tank that's meant to spill over into the world? His life, his love, his joy. He says here that that comes only as we abide in him. What does that word mean? It's kind of a, a word maybe you've heard if you've been in the church, maybe not. Some translations, if you read it, use the word remain. It's really talking about an ongoing personal relationship where we're near to Jesus, where we're connected to the vine. Otherwise, it says we can't bear any kind of fruit. But that's only because we're not drawing from him the nutrients. We're not drawing from him our life, our love, our joy. Verse 7 is helpful. It's, it's descriptive. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So Jesus says if we stay close to him, if we keep his words close to our hearts, we'll be so connected that his desires will become ours. One emotion that I think we've experienced that I didn't mention earlier is this just feeling of powerlessness. Not just an inability to, to bring change or do anything about the situation, but at times just an inability to kind of put one foot in front of the other and just get out of, the, out of bed at the beginning of the day. 
Jesus says in verse 5, apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we really have nothing. But hear what he says, in him we have everything. Even God himself. You may not notice this, but we don't want to gloss over those first two words of verse 5 that's on the screen. I am. These are actually, this is actually one of seven times in the book of John where Jesus says, there's kind of this equation, I am, and then a metaphor that follows. So, I'm the bread of life, I'm the living waters. Maybe you've heard those before, but where that comes from is from the book of Exodus. Where Moses is standing there in front of the burning bush, and he's kind of freaked out, and he's, and he's supposed to go back and talk to Israel and tell them all these crazy things, and he just asks God, well, who do I tell him is sending me there? And, he, and God just says, call me I am. Tell him I am is sending you. And that's where this comes from. I am. I am. He just is. He's the self-sufficient one. He's the self-existent one, the one who made, the one who owns everything and needs nothing. Where life comes from, where life flows from, in our weakness, and we've all felt this, we find his strength. And that's what Jesus offers us here. But to experience it, we have to slow down enough to receive it. Third, what the Spirit has also taught us. And one thing I want to say is this season also hasn't been all bad. I've talked to many of you that thought there were refreshing aspects of the last year and a half. One of the things that I think has been a breath of fresh air for most of us is the change of pacing. Now, if you're a medical professional, an essential worker, you might say, no, no. But you still had things that have had to be removed from your life that, that didn't perhaps create a little bit of space. But I think a lot of us would just say the pacing has changed. There's been more time for solitude, more time for rest. With everything shut down, many of us have just gotten a breather from this hurried, frazzled American life. And it's felt pretty good, I think. It's been hard, but it's, there's been good aspects. You know, more time for books, for prayer, for scripture, for family. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare his glory. We've probably been more likely to be found walking on a trail or sitting reflecting on a park bench. The American life of just running from thing to thing for no apparent reason, it seemed like in an instant just came to a halt. And in many ways, it's felt pretty good. And as we think about things that we should probably run from, there are plenty of practices that we can lean into because suddenly the, the space that was lacking in our lives, at least some of it seemed to appear, and it wasn't all filled in with bad things, but also some long-lost blessings, and we can thank the Spirit of God for that, for what our Father can be up to. Now, there's... Another part of the metaphor that Jesus mentions here, he says in verse 1, my father is the vine dresser. So Christ's father, our father, tends to the vine. He cares for the branches. That's us. And he does a couple of things that are mentioned in verse 2. First, the non-fruit-bearing branches, it says he takes away. This is a picture of judgment. 
of those who have been made around but aren't truly of him. The trials of this age particularly have revealed many people to not be truly of the people of God. You know, it seems like all the time we see someone else on Instagram just saying, I've had enough of this, I'm walking away. But God is taking away those branches. Our Father is clearing out dead woods so that new healthy branches can be grafted back in. Second, the fruit-bearing branches, it says, can be pruned. Why? So they may bear more fruit. So what's God doing? Our Father is cutting us back. No matter how much it hurts, that we can grow back bigger and stronger and bear more fruit for His kingdom and for His glory. He's using this trial to show us ways that we've turned from His life, love, and joy. And to reveal things that we've missed that enable us to abide. Again, God is sovereign over the hard things. And he uses those trials, and scripture testifies to this, to test us, to see if we're legit, but also to grow us, to make us look more like Jesus. Our dog, Bauer, that many of you have met on social media, some of you in person, he actually has a seizure disorder. And what keeps him from having these attacks that are extremely disturbing is having this massive Kepra pill shoved down his throat and chased by what he thinks is a tasty bacon tree. He doesn't seem to like it. It takes some skill to give it. He doesn't really know what it's for, but it's for his good. COVID in some ways, I think, has been like that. It's been a tough pill to swallow, but it's been good for us. We've been so spoiled here in America. We've been far less healthy than we realize, and this could be one way that God is moving us toward a sound mind, toward maturity in Him, of making us better. Now hear me, hear me clearly. I don't want to minimize the pain and suffering that so many of have experienced. And hear me say that all suffering is evil and one day God will remove it. But our hope as believers is that God still uses that for good. And that includes something massive like this pandemic. Perhaps this is God's means for pulling us back into union with him as individuals. To where we abide in him and his words abide in us. Where we get back to hearing from him in the Bible and responding to him in prayer. Where we are taking the time to see his glory on a neighborhood trail or in feeling a soggy golden doodle's nose. Maybe God will use this to make us desperate for corporate abiding again. Just to get real. It, it had kind of gotten in America where like the quote good Christian, you know, was in church on Sunday like one to two times a month, right? There just wasn't this desperation for the word of God. There wasn't this deep longing to stand next to your brothers and sisters and sing your hearts out. Maybe God will use the absence that we felt from corporate worship to reorient our priorities and just renew our deep love for what he does here on Sundays. I heard this great interview from Ray Orkland the other day, and he talked about what happened back in what they called the Jesus movement of the 1960s in America. And he said this on his wife's podcast. 
We saw in the late 1960s, in the midst of national emergency, God rend the heavens and come down with revival. And two powerful things were happening, happening simultaneously in our nation during those days. We were going through cultural upheaval, and we were going through spiritual renewal. And the cultural upheaval was so unsettling and distressing, we were turning to God with new openness and radical need, and God met us in our need. Maybe God will take this crisis and use it as kind of a control-alt-delete on our lives, on the American church. Maybe God will bring great growth in our lives and in our life together through this struggle. Maybe he'll explode that secular myth that even we as Christians can buy into and through it bring great renewal. I want to leave you with five questions for you to ponder and pray with as I begin to wrap up here today. First, what things has the Spirit revealed in your life over the past year and how should you repent of those? So when I talked about thoughts and emotions and words and deeds, what are things that you've seen and how can you respond to His grace and His work in your life? Second, what gifts has the Father given during this season and how can you receive them and flourish in them moving ahead? So as things continue to, to change again, I don't think God would want us to just forget the, the Bible reading and the trail walks and just go back into the, the craziness. Third, in what ways can you abide in Jesus going forward in your private life as well as your corporate life here? What would that look like? Fourth, how do you need to receive the Father's grace in Jesus after the never-ending year we've been through? So maybe if you're a mom or dad and you feel like, you know, if you, what did you do the last year and a half? Well, I yelled at my kids, you know. That might be one thing. Um, how do you need to receive his grace? Because he's gracious and this has been hard. Fifth, do you believe God can use these trials to bring change in, and renewal in you, in us? And would you join me in praying for that? Those are five things to think about. Well, one thing that's been repeated over and over ad nauseum throughout the pandemic, I've said it, you've said it, I can't wait till things get back to normal, right? But is that really what we want? Perhaps one of the most impactful articles that was posted over the past year, and I encourage you to read it, was entitled, How the Pandemic Defeated America. It was written by this science journalist named Ed Young in The Atlantic, and he goes into 34 pages of detail on how this, this perfect storm of factors led to the mess we experienced in America, which he calls both predictable and preventable. But there's this jarring quote at the beginning of the article, I think, that speaks to how I've been feeling and how I kind of want to frame this series. He says, despite its epical effects, COVID-19 is merely a harbinger of worse plagues to come. The U.S. cannot prepare for those inevitable crises if it returns to normal, as many of its people ache to do. Normal led to this. Normal was a world ever more prone to a pandemic, but ever less ready for one. To avert another catastrophe, the U.S. needs to grapple with all the ways normal failed us. Uh, I don't know, that, that quote just rocks me, but all the ugly church that came out during this pandemic 
sprung out of normal, right? That's where all this came from. And normal was not healthy, right? Normal led to this. The disease of the American soul, one we're not at all immune to, that disease vomited out this mess we call 2020. We should long for so much more than that. We should run as fast as we can away from that. Normal, as he says, failed us. Now, as I thought about getting back to normal, one of my images was, not real extravagant, but sitting in my favorite coffee shop, drinking a, a cup, reading the Bible, writing in my journal. But more than that, I want to sit there with a heart that's bursting with joy for Jesus. I want to be renewed. Today, yes, is a massive day, one that we've been looking forward to, worshiping as one together. But don't we want it better than before? Don't we want our hearts to actually be ablaze as God's word is read and proclaimed? Don't we want the songs of the gospel to do something in us and bring us to tears and almost burst out of our chest. Don't we want our worship together to look more like the book of Acts than our experience in America? I don't want normal. I want God to revive our souls and see something better as we as people learn to abide again. So I hope you'll come back next week as I talk about how we seek to love one another and how we live as the church together. But let's pray as I close. Father, thank you for your grace that you have carried us through, that even though it's been hard, we've seen your hand over the last year and a half. Um, thank you for um, your character that we can trust, your heart, even if we... We don't know um, what you're doing. Thank you that we can trust that, Lord. Um, I pray that um, if anything, you would just be doing a work in us that we just realize for real that apart from you, we can do nothing. At least nothing of value, nothing of eternal value. And pull us back to you, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.